I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Esther chapter 8. This is the last week that will be in the book of Esther. I've, as Shane has, uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed the series through the book of Esther. I pray that you have enjoyed it and been blessed by it, that you have uh, grown in your knowledge of God's Word and God's plan, uh, in your confidence and faith in Him, as we've seen in this book time and time again, Him showing up, Him doing things, in unexpected ways at times that uh, were very unexpected as well but seeing that ability of God that providence that sovereignty that planning of God I pray that that has strengthened our faith as a body and as individuals we are going to finish and of course some of you are very studious and you have already read and so as this morning as I've asked you to turn to Esther chapter 8 you have already realized that that means that this morning we're covering Esther chapter 8 and Esther chapter 9, and Esther chapter 10. You wonder why there was no special music. No, that's not what's going on. That's not what's going on. This morning we are going to cover, but these chapters are really just one section of the story. And so what I'm going to do, especially for time's sake this morning, is I'm going to summarize a lot of the material that we see here. I'm not going to read all of the text. We'll read certain parts of the text, and I'll summarize others. I say that, though, because I want to... I urge you to do this if you haven't read these chapters in full word for word since we won't be doing that this morning in the service I urge you to do that later to sit down this afternoon or sometime this week and read Esther chapters 8 9 and 10 and see the full account of the things that the Lord did for the Jews at the end of this story that has been so good for us but let me catch you up real quickly for those that aren't up to date on where we are here. So Esther is queen of Persia, right? This is the largest nation the world's ever seen at this time, and she is the queen of this nation. And she's one of the main characters that we'll see today. There's also Mordecai, who's her older cousin, who has raised her since she's become an orphan. So he's the one that's been there, who has uh, helped guide her and give her guidance throughout her life, and especially throughout this process. We'll see him today, and there's somebody else I'll mention who we won't really see much about today, and his name is Haman. He was one of the other characters in this story, but Haman is now dead. If you were here last week, you saw Haman was the bad guy in the story. He had tricked the king into passing a law saying that on this certain specific day that all of the Jews in Persia were going to be killed. Well, Haman has been found out, his plot, his trickery, his deceit has been found out, and he's been given the death sentence, and he's been killed. And so it almost seems like last week, that was the high point of the book. The bad guy that we've been worried about, who's, who's reared his head time and time again, is now dead, and he's gone. And so now that we're done with him, it seems like everything's taken care of. We can just celebrate. But there's one thing that we still have to deal with in the text today and that is the law that was passed before Haman was killed he, he tricked the king into passing the law saying that on this specific day all of the Jews were going to be killed and if you remember we said that in Persian history when the king passed a law it was an irrevocable law it couldn't be taken back it couldn't just be wiped away so even though Haman's dead the Jews still have this to contend with. There's still this future day that's set that on that day there's already been a law passed out to all of the cities and all of the kingdoms saying on this day 
you should kill all of the Jewish people that you see. And so this morning we're going to see how the Lord deals with that. If you would look with me in Esther chapter 8, as Esther and Mordecai are talking to the king at this point about what they're going to do now, we'll pick up in verse 7 to see the plan. It says, Then King Osuerius said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows, because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king, and seal it with the king's ring. For an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. So here we see the king basically saying to them, that last part's a good reminder, look, the, the law that Haman wanted us to pass, it's already been passed. It's already been sealed with the king's ring. It's already been passed out. And any edict written in the name of the king, sealed with the king's ring, cannot be revoked. So what he does is now he gives Mordecai and Esther his ring. And he says, you have my authority. You write a new law that can kind of counteract that law. You do whatever you want, but that one's not going away. I'm sorry. I wish you would. But that law is going to be here. So you write your own new law that you think will make a difference and so what they do if you continue to read through here what they do is the new law that they write says that since the people of Persia are going to attack the Jews on a specific day that the Jewish people will also have the right to gather and form small militias or small armies and they will fight back against the Persian people and that's the new law that they pass and if you read all of chapter 9 this is what you'll see that's exactly what happened there were still some people in Persia that were loyal to Haman or that didn't like the Jews or for whatever reason that decided they were going to attack the Jewish people. But the Jewish people get together and they form these militias and they fight. And in the end, this is when all the dust settles, what happens is it says that seven, over 75,000 Persians were killed by the Jews and the Jews were victorious. So this is kind of the end of this story, the end of the book. We've gone through all of this, and Queen Esther very unlikely becomes the queen, and she and Mordecai are, are doing well, and then things get bad because Haman passes this law, and then Haman ends up getting killed, but the law's still there. And here's the end of the book, the end of all of Esther, and what we're really doing today is seeing a recap in the big picture of the book. But what we see is this. God allowed his people to defend themselves and in the end, after all the ups and downs, his people come out victorious. That's the end of the book. That's the beautiful part of this. And there are two reflections that I want to give you. Well, really a couple, maybe a third one. A few reflections I want to give you this morning where I see that this gives us a good reflection of our life. The first thing I want us to see this morning from this text is this fact. That the Jews and Persia were persecuted but eventually delivered and the same thing will happen for us the people of God the Jews that were living in Persia we saw this through the book they were persecuted they were hated Haman doesn't like them Haman passes this law that they're all going to be killed even after Haman is killed and that's all dealt with there are still people in Persia that hate the Jews bad enough that they're still going to carry out this law. They're still going to try and fight. They're still going to try to kill the Jews. The Jews are persecuted over and over, but in the end, they're delivered by God and they are victorious. 
And what we need to remember is, again, this isn't just an account that we're reading from Persia from a long time ago. This is the story of our life as well. This is the promise for Christians today is that we will be persecuted. We will be made fun of. We will be pressed down in some ways. But in the end, we will be delivered and we will be victorious. I want to read to you a verse of scripture from John chapter 15 this morning. You don't have to turn there. Just write this down. John 15, beginning in verse 18, Jesus said this. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. You see, the promise of Scripture, the promise of Jesus, the warning and promise of Jesus is, as a Christian, we will be persecuted. Now, maybe not the same way that the Jewish people were here, right? The Jewish people here, the Jewish people several times through the Old Testament, they're being persecuted in a much different way, right? In, in Egypt, they're made to be slaves and work as slaves for the Egyptians. Here in Persia, they've been given this death sentence where they're all going to be killed and people try to fight them and attack them and kill them. We're talking about the highest level of persecution that you can find. And sometimes for us in America, that seems like that's just old world biblical teaching. But as I was reading this week, there's an organization called Open Doors. And what they do is they work around the world in secret with the persecuted church. And they list at least 50 countries where this is the quote that they say about trying to live there as a Christian. It says, living the gospel means facing beatings, imprisonment, discrimination, and abuse. And on top of that, they reported that last year, in 2017, there were well over 3,000 Christians killed for their faith. Now, we're not just talking about in Persia. We're, not talk we're talking about last year. We're talking about at least 50 countries today right now that if you are openly known to be a Christian, that you will be beaten, imprisoned, if not killed. So this sort of persecution does still happen for Christians. But now most of us, praise the Lord, will probably never have to face this level of persecution. But does that mean that we're not persecuted? Absolutely not. There are a lot of ways that we're persecuted. And many of you have seen these and you felt these. And you know these, unfortunately, sometimes we do things to try and work our way around these and not have to deal with them. But we deal with things because of our faith. If we truly stand up as Christians, if we're known as being God's people, as we talk about the gospel, if we tell people about Christ, then we go through things like loss of friends, loss of jobs, censorship on social media, bullying on social media. We see this for Christian people all the time. Being left out by certain people in certain groups in our day and time. Lawsuits over our beliefs and over our faith. Harm to our reputation. We see these things day in and day out. Just, if you want to experiment it, with just go on social media and start putting some things about how you believe in the biblical standards of marriage. That's our next series that we're going to is marriage. Go on there and start talking about things, about 
uh, how marriage is only to be between one man and one woman and see if you don't start feeling a little bit of the persecution, a little bit of the pushback of this world against God and his people and his word. Go into public and start sharing the gospel, telling people that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven, that he's the only God, and that any other God is a false God made up by men, and see if there's not persecution. Brothers and sisters, we, if we live for Christ, will be persecuted. Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. We will be persecuted if we live for Christ, but so were the people of God in Persia and we get to see the end of their story the end of our story hasn't come but what's the end of their story the people that persecuted them end up getting dealt with Haman is killed on the gallows his sons are hanged on the gallows the people that tried to follow his leader killed 75,000 of them and the people of God are celebrating and victorious and that's the picture that we're going to have in the end as well those that are enemies of God and his people those that fight against God and his truth in the end will be judged and we will be victorious. Point one this morning is this. Being God's people means certain persecution but also certain victory. And brothers and sisters, I'm willing to deal with that. And I pray that you are as well. I'm willing to deal with knowing that I'm going to be persecuted, knowing that I'm going to be left out of something, knowing that I'm going to be made fun of, for knowing that I'm going to, in the end, be victorious, be on the side of the victor, be with God forever and ever. There's another day that's coming. We sang about it this morning. And I want to read to you some verses that I absolutely love from Philippians chapter 2. This is a day of victory. Now, I'm not talking about like the Jews in Persia, that everybody that's hated you, that you're going to see them killed and that sort of thing. This is the sort of victory that I'm waiting for. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 9, says, Therefore, speaking of Jesus, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The scriptures tell us that this day is coming, and this is our day of victory. This is the day that we wait for. This is the day that we long for. When Christ comes and he proclaims to the world that what we have been telling them the whole time is true, that he is real and his love is real. The people of God were persecuted in Persia for a long time, but in the end they were victorious. The same is true for our life. There's one other reflection that I want you to see clearly from this story, and that's that God's people in this book the Jewish people in Persia were under a death sentence, right? They had had it proclaimed, the law is passed out, it's sealed with the king, it's an edict that can't be taken away. Riders go out from the kingdom, they go to every city and they start posting this thing, that on this day, on this specific day, all of the Jews are going to be killed. And can you imagine that feeling? You walk out of your house as a Jewish person and you see this thing, every day you walk out and you see this poster that says on this day you're going to be killed and there's nothing that you can do about it they were under a death sentence a for sure irrevocable death sentence that in the end God miraculously reversed and set them free and again it's not just for the Jewish people in Persia this is a reflection for you and for me as well because when we read the scriptures 
when we read about Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Most of us, we know that story. And we read about them eating of the fruit. And we read about sin entering the world. And man becoming fallen. The world becoming fallen. We read this also in Romans 5. It said that death entered the world through one man. But death spread to all men because all sinned. From Romans 5. And brothers and sisters, they were under a death sentence because Haman had done some deceit and trickery. But you and I, at one point, were under a death sentence because of our own evil. Not because of somebody else's evil, not because of what Haman did, but because of what you did. You were spiritually dead, and I was spiritually dead. When we sinned, when we were lost sinners, our, proclaim, our proclamation under God is that we were separated from Him that we were spiritually dead and we were waiting the day of judgment when we would go to an eternal hell and be there forever and ever. That's what we were staring in the face. They walked out every day and they saw this poster that said on this day they're going to die and we walked out every day and there was no poster and there was no set date but it was on the day that we leave here or that Christ returns here we're going to hell forever. We dealt with that. We were under that. And how unlikely was their salvation process, the Jews in Persia, right? You have this, this Jewish woman living in Persia where she's not respected much. You have a woman in a male-dominated society who wouldn't have much pull. You have a woman who doesn't even have parents. She's an orphan being raised by a cousin of hers who ends up being the one that God uses to usher in all of these great things and to save his people. In the same way, our story is just as unlikely. You have a middle class to poor couple engaged and not even married yet who have a child. And that child is raised up and then killed by the Roman government, nailed to a cross. And because of that child's death, our sins are taken away. In an unlikely way, their death sentence was removed in a just as unlikely of way or more unlikely of way our death sentence was removed because it wasn't just the child on a cross it was God Almighty in human flesh dying on a cross while taking my sin and your sin upon himself Jesus came and he died in our place and this is what I want you to see this morning is that this isn't a story about Esther and Mordecai this is a story about you and me where the world hates us for being God's people, but God has a great plan to deliver us. And where we're under a death sentence that we can't get rid of on our own, but that God has already made a way. Even though we couldn't see it for a long, way, long time, God has already made a way that we could be set free from it. There's one last thing that I want you to see. Because some of you have not smiled since I stood up here this morning. There's one last thing that I want you to say, and I'm going to be done. Look with me in Esther chapter 9. Both of these scenarios end in one way. Victory for God's people, right? Y'all excited about that? Is that a good thing, right? Both of these end in the same way God's people are victorious. This is a reflection of our life. So in the end, we're going to be what? Y'all can say it out loud. We're going to be what? Victorious, right? We're excited about this. Let me show it to you in the scripture here. Esther chapter 9, beginning in verse 16. 
This is after the battle. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them, but they laid no hands on the plunder. This was on the 13th day of the month Adar, and on the 14th day they rested and made that a day of feasting and gladness. You see what happened there? For so long they've been worried and for so long they've been scared and for so long they've been dealing with this persecution and for so long things have seemed bad. But now all of a sudden everything's over and what do they do? They rest and they feast. And brothers and sisters, this is the day that we are looking forward to as well. If you've read the book of Revelation, I know a lot of you have. Especially if you've read Revelation chapter 19, there's this one very specific part as it's talking about we're in heaven and we're resting and all of our enemies have been put in their place and all of these things are happening and it says there's going to be, it doesn't say a feast, but it says a supper. And it says it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. And brothers and sisters, the reason that it's the marriage supper of the Lamb is because the Lamb is Jesus and you know who His bride is? The church. We are His bride and just like the people of God here whenever everything's said and done they're at peace and they're at rest and they're not worried and they're excited and everything is good and they feast and celebrate. Once we leave behind all the persecution of this world and all the hurts of this world, and all the pain of this world, and all the lies that we deal with, once all those things are gone, we'll be in the presence of Almighty God forever, and we will be at a feast where we are His bride and He is our groom, where He celebrates His love for us, and we'll be there forever and ever and ever. That's the sort of victory that we're talking about. We're not talking about killing 75,000 people and going to sit at the house. We're talking about going to heaven and being in the presence of Almighty God forever and feasting as He celebrates His great love for us and we celebrate His glory as our Savior. That's what I'm looking forward to. And I pray that you are too. Brothers and sisters, that's the reflection of this story. It's not just Esther and it's not just Mordecai and it's not just Haman. It's you and it's me and it's our sin and God taking it away. It's you and me and all the people of this world that try to hold us down and God that's lifting us up and promising that on one day He'll get rid of all of the things that hurt us and all of the things that ail us and all of the things that worry us. And as we sang earlier, what a day that will be. When my Jesus, I shall see. When I look upon His face, the one who saved me by His grace. I can't sing it without smiling because that's a day that I can't wait for. That's a day that I look forward to. Yes, if you've been here, you've seen throughout this book, and we've talked about the same theme over and over. On this earth, it seems like the bad people are getting ahead. The more they lie, the better they do. The more they cheat, the better they do. But here's the truth. If you've ever run in a race, if you've ever watched a race, if you've ever played in a game, if you've ever watched a game of any sport, of any sort, it's not about how you feel like you're doing at the beginning. It's about how things are going at the end. And on this earth, they may seem to be doing well. They may have a nicer car than you. They may have a nicer job than you. But here's the truth. I'm not worried about the first lap. I'm worried about the end. And we're not worried about just what goes on here. We're worried about eternity. 
And God doesn't promise you that if you're his child that he will give you a big house and that he will give you great health. But he does promise that if you're his child that he will give you eternity with him. Away from all of the worries of this world and all of the persecution that we've dealt with. And that makes the things that we go through here well worth it. Brothers and sisters, if you have been down, if you have been sick, if you have been scared because of the things of this world, if you've thought about giving up because it seems like those that don't know God and don't love God are doing better, just remember this morning, it's not about how they're doing right now. It's about how they'll be doing 10,000 years from right now. And the only way that you'll be doing well then is to be His people now. I pray that if you're here this morning, and you've read the book of Esther, and you've read about Moses and the people of Israel and Egypt, and you've read about the apostles, and you've read about all these times that God has delivered people, and thought, I wish He would deliver me that way. Just remember this morning, understand this, that He has promised that He will deliver you. And we see the end of their story, and it's a reflection of what's to come for us. A marriage supper where we sit at a table with God Himself, and he celebrates with everybody how much he loves us. Brothers and sisters, if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I just want you to understand that he's already sent Jesus to die in your place. He's already paid the penalty for your sins so that when we come to him and profess faith in him and give our life to him, we are promised that victory. We're promised to be his children forever and ever. If you've never done that and you feel the Lord calling you to do that, you can do that here, now, today. I pray that you would come and talk to me about that in just a moment. Let me explain to you what that looks like, what that process means, how you do that. I'd love to talk to you about that. But I also want you, if you're here today and you are a Christian, and for too long you have just worried so much about the things of this world and taken your eyes off of the true prize and the true victory, You've taken your eyes off of the Lord and His goodness and His greatness and what He's already done for us. I pray that this book and our reflecting on it today has reinvigorated you. To know that God may be working in the background where you don't see, but He is working. To know that He may have a plan that you don't understand, but He does have a plan. To know that even though you don't see His ways, they're always perfect. And in the end, it's going to work out for His glory and for our good. I want to invite you to stand this morning. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what the Lord's telling you to do. But we're going to have a time of, of public invitation. And if you would like to come and pray at these altars, if you'd like to pray where you are, if you'd like for me to pray with you, I'd love the privilege. This morning, if you have questions, I would love to try and answer those. If you just want to stand where you are and sing out of response for the excitement in your heart for what God's done for you, that's a great way for you to respond. But I want to invite you to respond to the Lord, however he leads you to it. Brother Shane leads us in a hymn of invitation.